You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, here on a Thursday, which means the Bucks preseason is going to come to an end tonight. They will take on the Minnesota Timberwolves at home at 7 p.m. Now, I did touch on yesterday's episode that there may be a guest on the show, and there is. Before I get to introducing this man, I remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. Now, I was just talking to our guest before we started recording, and I said that this is, it feels a little bit weird because I probably last season, I would say, if I had to guess, I think I was probably on his shows or talking with him, whether it be on radio or wherever else it was, I would have to say at least maybe 30 times. And he was always the host. And now it does feel a little bit strange to have those roles reversed, but I'm sure most people would know this voice or recognize this voice. He is the host of Courtside Live. He is the host on the Bucks radio network for all the games with Ted Davis. He's now starting a post-game show on the Bucks Radio Network that I'll let him tell you about. But Justin Garcia joins Locked On Bucks, and we were just talking, but I haven't spoke to you since I left, so it's been a while. But <laughs> I didn't even you... realize you were gone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, maybe it went quick. Maybe that was a good thing for you. I'm not sure. That's, uh, that's, I was thinking about that as you were doing the setup, too, of oh, how many times did I have to have – Kane bail me out and come on courtside or some other show. And the number that I had in my head was at least 30. So it's funny you said that. Yeah, I think 30 sounds about right, but it was always a lot of fun. I always like I told you, I always loved coming on uh the courtside show because it was there was always a little bit of a dead time in between the the, the pregame press conferences and then um uh, the tip off so we were always just hanging around the court watching the guys warm up so it was always fun to come on with you but i did touch on the post game show that you were starting so is what can we expect from that i know we spoke about it a little bit but what what's the setup going to be what what are you doing with this with this post game show the well the additional post game show for those that are listening in milwaukee and madison will be on our uh, bucks affiliates in those cities and that one is going to be more fan driven the the network post game still exists, but that's just primarily giving you the highlights. You'll hear from a player after the game and the numbers, and here's how the game went. There's very little interaction with that, so that's going to remain straightforward. But the additional hour that we'll have for Milwaukee and Madison is going to be a lot more 
uh, caller driven. We will have, uh, I think I already asked you to do one too. We'll have members of the media come on with us and uh, recap what they just saw with the game. So it's going to be a lot less, I don't, I don't know, rigid would be the word, but it's going to be a lot more loose than the uh, usual network post game. Yeah, I think it's interesting because definitely last season, and I I think we spoke about this a few times as well, that as the season went on and the Bucks were playing so well, it seemed like the Bucks fans' momentum coming through, saying that they wanted more coverage, they wanted more people talking about things, seems to have really taken off. And I know during the playoffs, obviously Bucks coverage went through the roof, but it, it really does seem that with this season coming up that, there is a lot more Bucks stuff out there, and it, and I think, or it certainly appears like there is going to be a big market for that. So, uh, I touched on Courtside Live. So Courtside Live is staying as well, and and obviously the game coverage. So, you're going to be a busy man. Not only is uh, Courtside staying, we did it for the uh, for the scrimmage on uh, the sixth, what ten days ago. Um, we did a special show for that. Where uh, Jim Paskey was there, Zora, the uh, new sideline digital reporter, was on with us. Eric Name was on with us. Uh, but uh, Nick, our friend Nick, has told me there will also be a addition, an additional camera that is in the booth. So there's a chance I will be on screen for portions of courtside. Wow, that's yeah, uh, big time now. Yeah, that's. If you want, I know that uh, some people saw some of the videos I did from Australia. I can give you some advice on hand positions and what not to do. Well, just give me I'm the carrying. jacket. <laughs> the jacket, yeah, the jacket. Actually, I was actually very happy that when those videos came out, that I, I think the jacket actually distracted some of the people from whatever I was talking about or my hand positions and. I think if I didn't have the jacket on, it may have just been a barrage of uh, negative comments. I'm not too sure, but that's that is big. That'll be good to see uh, you and your guests and and everyone get a <laughs> yeah, little I'm bit sure. of a little bit of airtime. Yeah, I'm sure uh, people are going to be very disappointed to see what actually goes on in that booth. Yeah, it's normally um, a lot of messing around and laughing, and but no, it's, it is a very professional environment there's no doubt about that but what what else have you been doing how was your summer did you get any time off at all i know i spoke a few times about the fact that it felt like this off season just flew by because uh obviously a, a longer buck season than we were used to and then it rolled straight into or almost straight into to FIBA basketball where there was a lot of bucks playing and then all of a sudden we're back here at the start of the season and for me anyway it feels like the the playoffs weren't that long ago Summer, uh, summer was good. There was a lot of time off, and that was that was the first thing we said when uh, we had the home game uh, last week, and that was the first time uh, me, Ted, and Dennis, and Ryan, our engineer at all, convened in the same spot since a game uh, five. That it it just felt like that was just only a couple weeks ago that there was seemingly no off season like for. How many years have we just wanted the Bucks to get out of the first round that your season ends in April yet? And uh, now almost made it to June. Yeah, I and it was it was funny that I, I sort of touched on that a little bit yesterday in, in the solo pod that there's a different feel about this season. And 
I know Frank also mentioned that it's weird watching the Bucks, and all of a sudden now, for so long, you've you've just wanted the Bucks to be good, and you've wanted them to get past that first round and have a long playoff run, and now you head into this season, and there is some part of you that is just kind of like, okay, let's just get to the playoffs now because. Yeah. We know that the Bucks are going to be a very good team, or you, you know, you hope they're going to be a very good team. Certainly, the expectations are at a level that they haven't been before. So, is that kind of the feeling you have when you look at this season? And you do try not to skip over the fact that how fun this is, and watching Giannis in the regular season last year was incredible. But there is, as I said, some sort of feeling that we know the Bucks are going to be in the playoffs. And after remembering how fun that run was last year and how it all ended, it's like let's just get back there and try and win the whole thing. There's two things I, I remember. Uh, I remember talking about this with you last year too. That I, I still don't know if I got used to walking into that building and fully expecting the Bucks to win every single time I walked in. Uh, but those last, uh, what would you say? Probably from mid March until the playoffs started. That, those were the longest like three or four weeks because you knew what was in front of this team. You knew they were going to win in the first round. It was a question of how are they going to match up, we thought, with the Celtics, and that's what happened. And you just wanted to make sure the team stayed healthy moving into the playoffs, and you were just anxious for the playoffs to get there. That The month of March felt like it took forever last year, and I would imagine it's going to be the same this year. Yeah, I think... I, when I think back, I'm trying to think the first time I was asked whether it was on a podcast or on radio with you or whoever it may have been, when was the first time I started talking about playoff matchups and how the Bucks uh, really were going to fit against different opponents. And I think it definitely was as soon as the trade deadline passed, and really, the rosters were mostly finalized. There was a lot of talk about potential buyout guys, and we sort of know how that played out there. But I think from that point on, I probably spoke more about what I thought the Bucks were going to do in the playoffs than I did how they were going to go against Brooklyn that night or whatever team it may be because there was certainly a feeling of inevitability that they were just going to get to the playoffs and, the, and there was this probably underlying anxiety that are the Bucks going to be okay in the playoffs <laughs> are they going to get through the first round even against a Detroit or a team like that uh, and I think they certainly proved that they were ready for it obviously they didn't get to where they wanted to go but you're right I think it's going to be the same this year and there were some nervous moments last season where some injuries started to pile up and I think that that now is going to be part of the anxiety of this season, understanding that it's 82 games, but nothing really matters until you get to the playoffs. Now, when you go from being a team that's hopeful to bank the playoffs to being a team that really it's finals or bust, the ramifications of that 82-game season sort of change. And now it's like, okay, let's just get there. Let's make sure we're healthy and put ourselves in the best position to, to make a playoff run. The, the series against the Pistons, I remember feeling like it was preseason again, that it, you just knew the, the Pistons' only hope every game was 
can Blake Griffin score 60 points? And even then they might not win that to go from that. And a lot of people brought that up too, but to go from that to then all of a sudden you jump into the fire and we saw what happened against the Celtics in game one. I'm not sure how much of that had to do with it. Uh, but that game two against Boston, I don't know that I've ever felt the way the crowd was that night where there was that palpable nervousness that you saw what happened in game one and you knew if you drop game two, this is big trouble. And then in a matter of minutes to see the start they came out on and just didn't look back. That was, that's probably my favorite memory from last year. Yeah, I do think the day, because uh, game one against Boston was the day game, right? Yeah, that was a Sunday afternoon, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that sounds right. And then the time between that game and waiting for game two was, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, obviously the conference finals, there was a lot on the line and and certainly heading into yeah, even game five and then game six, obviously it was do or die. That was big moments, but I think we'd already, the Bucks had already beaten the Celtics. So there was some exhale after that, that, okay, we made it to the conference finals. Not that you were satisfied with that result, but the fact that if the Bucks had have gone down comfortably to the Celtics again, it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Giannis is the MVP. Chris Milton was an all-star. The, t- the lineup was really built perfectly around Giannis, or as close to be uh, perfect around Giannis. And now we've hit a brick wall against this Celtics team again that was really a mess all season. So I think you're right. I think the, the, the time between that game two was certainly anxiety-driven. But... This season, uh, again, you you don't really have any of those questions that we had last season coming into the year. This time, it's just like, okay, let's go. Let's, let's destroy everyone. We know where we're going to be most likely. Let's get to the playoffs and, and then probably feel more confident about that and just hoping that they can take the next step. Hopefully, some other guys step up. But I did mention health a little bit there, and we did get... I would say a mini update from Matt Velasquez today. I saw a tweet from him regarding Eric Bledsoe and also DJ Wilson uh, from Matt Velasquez's tweet. He says, Mike Budenholzer says Eric Bledsoe is progressing and was able to do non-contact stuff, whatever that is, today at practice. And DJ Wilson, with his hamstring strain, was able to participate fully in practice and could actually play in that game tonight against Minnesota. So that's obviously, first of all, for DJ, that's obviously a great sign because I know last year at this time, the injury for DJ Wilson was thought to be minor and that was really the word the whole time. Then I think there was another couple of setbacks and he ended up missing a significant portion from the start of the season. So to come into the year again with a hamstring injury is a little bit concerning, but it sounds like he is progressing well and it would be really fun to see him play in the preseason uh, finale there. And then Eric Bledsoe, we already touched on this a little bit, that from what they've said, it's purely down to pain tolerance, which, again, I will say is a weird thing to to put out well, there. It's a weird um, thing to say that you're basically saying, well, it's whether or not Eric Bledsoe can handle it. Yeah, exactly. That's my thing. It's like to put that in the public is uh, just a weird thing to say. But it does seem like a couple of you know, positive pieces of news from the injury front, uh, th- uh, who I think for two guys that the Bucks would love to have uh, next week against uh, Houston. 
I mean, you, you just in the in the case of the first game for sure, because you think back to everything that Bledsoe did against uh, when it was just James Harden last year, and now I mean it's James Harden and Russell Westbrook that uh, that's certainly going to present some challenges if you don't have Eric Bledsoe. But you know, I I, I think it's interesting because I kind of started off the preseason thinking the Bucks had probably taken a few things away from last year and seeing the approach that the Raptors had and other teams really um, of we know now and, and you, you hoped last year, but we know now you're playing for May and hopefully June that we're probably going to see more uh, load management and some more rest days. And so I kind of thought, well, the Bucks will be a little more cautious and rest some guys. And as tough as it is for Giannis to sit out, he'll sit out some more games. They'll probably win around 54, 55, 56 games because of that. And I don't want to take too much away from the preseason. But it was just a reminder of just how deep this team is. And I kind of feel like they're going to win 60 games again just because of the depth that they have. They're still going to rest guys. But we've seen it again. It's it's only preseason, but we saw the same things we saw last year, where a five point lead just turns into twenty in the blink of an eye, and they're going to have the ability to sit Giannis or to sit Bledsoe and Middleton and still win games. Because when you look around the Eastern Conference, I don't know how you feel, but it, it feels like we know the Bucks and Sixers are the top two teams. Uh, but after that, there's not a steep drop off, but it's a pretty decent drop off. And it feels like the teams that noticeably got better in the East are all teams that were either on the outside or on the fringe of the playoffs last year. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, I think that there will be some strategic resting and you're going to be able to get away with that, as you said, uh, particularly in the East. I think the bottom half of the East, you can uh, get away. And I know you know, I know Drew Gooden the other night said that the Bucks were one and nine uh, without Giannis last season, but I can tell you that was incorrect. They were four and six, well, and he was, uh, he was also wrong about the Raptors' record without uh, Kawhi. Uh, he, I don't, I actually, it took me a while to figure out that that was Drew Gooden, uh, but gee, he he did not, he didn't have a great start. Let's just say that he was. It seemed like he was just. I don't know. It seemed to me like he didn't know that he was actually on air. So he was just throwing stuff out there like he was at the bar with his friends, just like throwing random facts out there. It doesn't really matter. No one's going to fact check this. <laughs> it was uh, it was ridiculous. But yeah, I, I think the Bucks played well. And we've seen that Chris Middleton is, is certainly capable of, of handling a, a lead role against uh, you know teams that the Bucks should expect to win. So I, I do have the win total around that 54-55 win mark as well. Um, because I also am curious to see what things Bud will try with this team. If he will just experiment a little bit more and be willing to uh, risk a win or two, knowing that this team won 60 games last year and ultimately, you know, it didn't really mean a lot. I mean, certainly uh, the Bucks had home court in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they still lost. And uh, I think this team at their best last year uh, was happy to, play any team anywhere obviously Fiserv was it was a, a nice home court advantage but uh they beat Toronto twice during the season on the road uh, I don't think there's any fear about playing on the road against teams in the east so uh while we think there'll be a one or two seed I, I certainly do think that there will be a greater mind to what's going to happen in the long run in in May and hopefully June with the Bucks but you sort of 
touched on the preseason a little bit and sort of your takeaway there from, I guess, how high-powered this offense is. And I think you're right. There was that stretch in that game. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't actually remember which preseason game it was. The one where Kyle Corver hit those three threes in the second quarter and Wes Matthews had one in between there. And it was sort of a close game. And then in the blink of an eye, the Bucks were up by 16, 17 points and the game was really over. And I think that was something we got used to seeing last year. We're probably going to see more of it this year. But do you have any other overriding takeaways or, or things that you feel like you can actually read anything from? Being, uh, being the preseason. Uh, I mean, just the depth of this team, and you know, we all know this, obviously, but where they are now is uh, is certainly deeper than they were to open the season last year. And and this is, I talked about this with Eric Name too on uh, on courtside when we did the uh, the open scrimmage, but uh, he said it, and a lot of people have said this too, which. You know, I, we'll certainly find out, and, and you can see where they're coming from, in that the Bucks are not right now as good as they were when the season ended a year ago. And a lot of that is because of the absence of Malcolm Brogdon, and now you're replacing him essentially with two players, which, as you know and we all know, it, it'll probably work in the regular season. But I, you know, I remember hearing, and I forget who it was now, but a, a general manager say a couple of years ago that when you build a team, you don't build a team to win in the regular season. You're building a team that you know this guy will help me in May. And Kyle Korver and Wesley Matthews are going to help you in the regular season. The question that's out there is how much are they going to help you in the postseason? Because in the case of both players, we've seen other teams scheme against them in the postseason. So that's what's out there when you wonder how good is this team compared to last year. But you know, one of the things that we've all discussed too, and I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, I think what helps them is when you look at the East, maybe the Sixers got better. I think that still remains to be seen. But other than that, the, the teams that you say this team definitely got better are teams that were you know, fighting to get into the playoffs, or maybe you say that, I, I don't know that you do this year, maybe you say that with the Brooklyn Nets, but still that was a six seed out there that it, there's nobody nipping at the heels. And I think there was a lot of uh, belief in what the Pacers did, and they certainly added some nice pieces. But Thaddeus Young defended Giannis just about as well as anyone not named Al Horford. He's gone now. And, I mean, for as good as Malcolm Brogdon was, you do have to wonder how much of that was because of playing next to Giannis. And now not only does he not have that in Indianapolis – we don't know when he's going to be playing next to Victor Oladipo. So this was one of those teams that was kind of the uh, under the radar, not necessarily to win the East, but look out for this team to make some noise. And now I think a lot of people are backing off of that too, that it, it just feels like you really have to try to talk yourself into a third team to really push these two teams in the Bucks and Sixers. And the only thing I wonder about that and, and how dangerous that potentially is, is when we went into the season last year, nobody was mentioning the Bucs. We all thought the Bucs would be improved. We thought the Bucs would certainly be a top four seed. I know for me, I thought if they can be a three, great. Uh, but all the talk going into the season last year was the Raptors and Celtics are clearly the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, and we saw how that turned out.
Yeah, that's that is not a point that I think should be ignored. I I do think that there is something to say with the leadership of this Bucks team and and the type of people they have uh, leading this team, and and of course Bud is is a part of that. But it, it starts with Giannis, and and we know sort of how selfless he is and how team orientated he is. And I I think that it's easy to look back now and think, oh, maybe we should have seen some of the other teams, you know, question marks a little clearer, but we only had the Celtics season before to base it off. And then we say, okay, well, now you put in Kyrie Irving and and this Celtics team looks like it should be a team that should contend in the East, but we weren't factoring in Kyrie Irving, the individual, and what effect that was going to have on the team and and really a team full of individuals that weren't really playing for each other. I think Brooklyn is an interesting case for that same reason with the same guy. I think that they are somewhat of a scary team as a six, seven, eight seed for, you know, potentially the Bucks, potentially the Sixers in the first round if Kevin Durant is back. I do think that that is a scary prospect in the first round if you if you have to face Kevin Durant. But I want to quickly go back at the start. You you touched on Corver and West Matthews and and their impact they can have in the playoffs. And this is something that I've thought a lot about in regards to Brogdon and Bledsoe because we know that the Bucks went or signed Bledsoe to the extension back in March. So the decision was already made there that they wanted Eric Bledsoe back. That was before. He had a chance to play in the postseason again. I don't think Bledsoe was terrible in the postseason last year, but certainly offensively he was a step below or, or several steps below where he was in the regular season. So I think the question between Bledsoe and Brogdon becomes what do these guys bring to you during the regular season and then what do they bring to you in the postseason? And I think Bledsoe won the Bucks a lot of games last year in the regular season through his defense, at times through his ability to take over offensively. I don't think Brogdon had that impact through the regular season. Certainly there was a few games where he, he made some big shots. I know uh, one of the road games in Toronto might have been the first one comes to mind right off the top of my head. But I think Bledsoe's a guy that wins you a bunch of regular season games. But then in the postseason, if, you, if you're purely picking between those two, based on what we've seen, then maybe Brogdon is the guy that you would take. But Brogdon obviously also has a bunch of injury concerns and is somewhat of a limited player. And I I do, or I am curious to see how that plays out in Indiana if he is expected to take a lead role, which we think he will with Oladipo out certainly. So the question between regular season player and postseason player is real. But I, I do think... The, the benefit of signing Bledsoe and, and you know, we'll see whether he's right for the season opener, but what he will bring to this team through the regular season is still critical to the Bucks' success. Well, and I, I think the other component is, um, and look, you can certainly pick apart whether or not this is a flawed way of thinking and building the team, but I think um, it was absolutely, it wasn't even up for debate for this team that they knew it had to be a package deal that George Hill had to return as kind of your insurance in case Eric Bledsoe doesn't have a good postseason. I, I agree with you, yeah. and I saw a lot of people talking about how poor Eric Bledsoe was in the postseason. 
I don't think he had a bad. He certainly himself would say, too, he didn't have a good postseason, but he wasn't terrible. Uh, but where I do give him credit is for all the struggles he had offensively, he still played the same defense we saw throughout the regular season, that he didn't let that impact it. You do have the insurance with the George Hill. And, you know, we saw George Hill close a lot of games for them in the postseason or play the big minutes. I would assume that's going to be the case again when people are wondering who's the closing five out there on the floor. Is it going to be Wes Matthews? Is it going to be Dante? Who's it going to be? It, I would assume it's going to be George Hill again unless we see something uh, to prove otherwise here. But, you know, my question, I find it very interesting with, with Malcolm Brogdon. It was weird with uh, the way free agency started that as we saw all these moves start to happen, it seemed like all these moves were going in favor of the Bucks, where you saw teams that were linked to Brogdon, like the Bulls and the Suns and even the Pacers too, making these moves that you thought, okay, well, there goes some money that they can't spend to go after Malcolm. And we all assumed he would be back. Then you see the move that happens. I just find it funny that there is a a large, it's seemingly rather rather large section of Bucks fans that have an issue with the amount of money that was paid to Chris Middleton. But in the case of Malcolm Brogdon, I this is not meant as a slight at all. But the way he played last year, I'm curious if you agree. That's as good as it gets for Malcolm Brogdon. I don't see Malcolm Brogdon ever being an All Star. I don't know that there's another level for him to take his game to. I think last year, that was it. That's what you hope to get from him. That's the ceiling. You already mentioned the red flags that there are with the foot there, that you're talking about paying that much money, investing more than you're investing in Eric Bledsoe in a player that realistically probably won't be an all-star, realistically probably reached his ceiling. And oh, by the way, you have to hope that this red flag, and as one scout I saw put it, a ticking time bomb in his foot, You have to hope that doesn't come back to bite you, but we're upset that Chris Middleton, a player who did make the all-star team and who has done these things and isn't getting the max, we're upset that we're paying him that much. Yeah, no question. And and again, similar to you, uh, I don't. I want it. I don't want it to be a. Oh well, Brogdon's not on the box, so he was actually right. a limited player. That wasn't that good. That's not really the case. But I think there's some legitimate question marks over what Malcolm Brogdon is going to be able to achieve as a lead player. I think uh, you know anyone that thinks or expects that Brogdon's efficiency is going to stay at these levels in an expanded role is probably kidding themselves. Because uh, even when you look at his um, the framework of the shots he was getting uh, and his three-point shooting, obviously 42% last year, but only 3.8 attempts per game. That's highlighted by the fact that he really only shoots wide open threes. He was That's what he was there to do for the Bucks. He was afforded that luxury simply through the basically the Bucks having Giannis, also having Chris Middleton on the floor. Brooke Lopez, just a number of, of threats offensively. There's no doubt that Brogdon benefited from that. Uh, I am genuinely curious to see whether he can, and like I said, the efficiency, I don't think there's any chance it's going to stay at that level, but I am curious to see whether he can become really a volume scorer. I'm not so sure that he can. I try and think to myself, how would Malcolm Brogdon go against the Bucks defense? So if he's being defended man-to-man by Eric Bledsoe, and then... He's trying to. If he, he's not going to be able to get a shot off from three, 
because we know that if, if he's the primary focus of the defense, it's going to be very difficult for him to get a jump shot off. Even if he drives to the rim, he's going to have Brook Lopez standing there. And if Brook Lopez is in there, Giannis is going to be flying over the top for a block shot. So I'm curious to see, as we sort of touched on, as a, as a primary option for the Pacers, how much room to grow Brogdon has. Like you said, this is before we even mentioned the injury concerns. Only 48 games in 2018, 64 last year. There's a lot of question marks there and uh, certainly understand why there was some concern about Middleton. We, we spoke about Middleton all year last year and <laughs> leading up to the contract. And clearly it was probably the polarizing topic of Bucks basketball last year in a year that really there wasn't too much to complain about. But Chris Middleton well, certainly and was. Well, let's, let's be honest. It's going to be again this year the first time Chris Middleton has a bad game. Oh, there's no question. And and just from a, a mental standpoint, I am curious to know what the difference is for a player that goes from playing with the pressure of trying to earn a contract to then the pressure of playing with a contract. I think it's an interesting conversation to have. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the, for mine, the two story, big storylines coming into this year will be one, how much the Bucks miss Malcolm Brogdon, and then two, again, yeah, Chris Middleton's play and and how quickly uh, people will jump on the contract that the Bucks gave him. But uh, I, it's, you know, getting back to the takeaways from the preseason, as you said, uh, the depth to me was probably the main thing because I, I don't, I enjoy it and I had a lot of fun watching Giannis destroy everyone and everything in front of him, but it's not... There wasn't a lot to take away from that. We know that that's what Giannis is. He's still the same Giannis. As I said in a podcast a couple of days ago, there should have been no takeaways from FIBA or any concerns that Giannis wasn't going to come back the same dominant player he was last year and this season before. He's still going to do that. But yeah, the bench players uh, are intriguing. And I think there really is an interesting battle for minutes down down the roster for the Bucks. But with one preseason game left, before we look to wrap this uh, podcast up are you expecting who are you expecting to play tonight because i do part of me thinks that with the the season opener another week away that they probably would want Giannis. and i don't know there's no benefit for Giannis playing really he's not going to get a lot out of it but just simply the fact that he hasn't played for a week now and won't play for another week part of me feels like he will play tonight but what's what's your expectations with uh, yeah i would I uh, I meant to go back and look, but didn't. I couldn't remember, but it, it felt like we didn't have a week long layoff between right. uh, the 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 preseason and regular season last year. But for that reason, I I expect he's going to play limited minutes. Like he'll play in the first half. You probably think if he plays in the second half, I guess that's another thing to be debated. But uh, because it's a week between games, I would imagine Coach Bottle want to get him out there. For a little bit, but I think um, you know certainly want to see DJ Wilson. But the two guys that it seems like everybody has, has talked about the most, and I know you guys have already addressed one of those, um, Dante Divincenzo. That I think I was certainly as high on Dante last year as anyone. But it does feel like a lot of it is forced that we just want Dante to yeah. be good. That I think we're looking for things that may not be there yet. Uh, but Dragon Bender, who just flew under the radar, I'm not saying he's Brooke Lopez, but Brooke Lopez flew under the radar last year, and look how that turned out. Dragon Bender, we know about the talent and where the Suns drafted him. 
And look, anybody that's stuck in that system in Phoenix where he's had a new coach seemingly every year, I think it was every year, and there's no real plan there that it's really hard to take anything away. What you do know is Coach Bud and the staff loves him, and they love his feel for the game. We know his ability to shoot. I think it was two years ago with the Suns that he had his best year. Um, I would still anticipate Dragon Bender is probably going to be inactive most nights, but it just speaks to the depth that we talked about where nights when you can sit Giannis that you have guys, whether it's Kyle Korver or Wesley Matthews, or in this case, Dragon Bender that can go out there. He scored in double figures in every game of the preseason. This is a guy that you can turn to a couple of times and he'll probably have some double-figure games throughout the season. Yeah, I think that's right. And that, again, as you sort of just said, that goes back to the earlier point that uh, the Bucks are going to be able to rest, guys. And I, I think that's really important. Uh, on previous podcasts, we already talked about the wing or that uh, the two-guard you know, into wing positions that there's going to be a real fight for. I think the four and five is, is really similar. Uh, obviously, Giannis is soaking up a huge amount of those minutes, as is Brook Lopez. But Robin Lopez, Ursula Lisova, DJ Wilson, maybe Dragon Bender throws his name into that ring as well. I mean, the Bucks generally are looking at having. Uh, that's before you even touch on Thanasis as well. We haven't really spoke about him. So um, the Bucks are genuinely looking like coming into an NBA season with fifteen guys that are rotation level NBA players and. That is very rare. I mean, that that is just not something you see. Generally, the the sort of the fourteenth, fifteenth man uh, are not really guys that play, and that's even before you mentioned that Frank Mason is a two way player. So, uh, yeah, the Bucks are in a, a sort of a, an envious position, I suppose, uh, for a lot of other franchises with with how deep they're going to be. Uh, yeah, you know, in terms of tonight's game, I, I guess the guys that I'm going to be watching the most are uh, Dragon Bender that we mentioned, uh, but really the names that everybody else mentions. Hopefully DJ plays so we can see him. Because with DJ Wilson, um, you know, and, and this is seemingly the second biggest talking point from last year, the, the whole Christian Wood debate, but the whole DJ versus Christian Wood thing, Coach Budenholzer basically told you every single time he addressed the media, he gave you everything you wanted to hear in terms of why isn't Christian Wood here the same message was given to DJ Wilson and everyone else of we need you to make winning plays without scoring. So basically we need you to rebound and play defense. DJ Wilson did that. Sterling Brown did that. Pat Connaughton did that. All these guys were talking about making an impact did that. It's great that Christian Wood scored 40 and had 20 rebounds, but the Bucks are never going to ask him to do that. And that was one of the things that's what helped DJ Wilson stick out. But it did feel like, and I don't know how you feel, but it, it did feel like in watching DJ last year, there were just, more often than not, when you watched him, you just were hoping he would be more aggressive and take more shots and be more aggressive on that end instead of just being everything the coaching staff wants, which certainly led to his playing time. But I'm curious to see that and if that switch flips for DJ and we see a more aggressive approach offensively. And to a lesser extent with Dante as well, because uh, I talked with Sterling Brown about that at Media Day, where we certainly saw that with Sterling Brown last year in the Hawks game when he basically had to because he was starting for the five starters were out. And it seemed like after that game where he scored 27 points that he just needed to see, okay, I can do this at, the le- at this level that just as I thought I could. And once that happened, felt like Sterling Brown was a little different guy for the remainder of the season. And 
maybe that's what you need from DJ Wilson, that he can just get out there. Here's the DJ game where DJ, you score 15 points, and that just sets him off because, like we said, everything else, uh, it was there for DJ last year, which is funny considering the knock on him coming into the draft was doesn't play defense and can't rebound, and that's what he did for this team last year. But I'm just going to be curious to see if DJ can take those steps forward and we see a more aggressive approach. Yeah, I will say that with a bunch of those guys that you just mentioned, and certainly DJ, definitely DJ, from talking to him, there's certainly no lack of confidence um, (laughs) in these young guys. DJ is very, very confident. I remember I went to a G League game last year when he hadn't broken into the rotation at all. He was coming back from his hamstring injury. He really didn't play well. In fact, he he had a, a poor outing, and I asked him about confidence uh, coming back through the G League and, and and hopefully trying to get into the Bucks and, and he didn't even let me finish the question before saying that oh, confidence is no problem for me. I do not lack confidence. Uh, I'm as confident as, as I need to be. And at the time, it was a curious uh, comment, but uh, it's it probably is a good thing. And I, I think certainly Dante and Sterling are the same. But we've probably gone a little over time here. I, I did have a bunch of other things. I mentioned to you that I was going to maybe discuss Giannis MVP, but... That's probably an hour conversation in itself. Um, so I think I will wrap it up there. But yeah, we've still got plenty to talk about. So I think I might try and... I This was fun. I felt like this was good, reversing the roles. I know I'm going to be talking to you, as you said, I think it was after the Miami game. I think that's when you've got me booked in. But Yeah, yeah after the uh, home opener. Right. But like you said, or I mentioned from the top, if... I'm sure most people have heard your voice before, but you're going to be busy. You're going to be in the Bucks Radio Network for the whole season. So uh, thanks for jumping on today. Anytime, man. All right. Before I wrap this up, I will remind you today's episode was brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. So as I said, the preseason feels like it's dragged on a little bit, particularly this week, but it finally comes to an end tonight against Minnesota at home, 7 p.m. tip-off. And I will speak to you guys tomorrow.